You're listening to Wake Up Call with Christina Previtt. I'm the CEO and co-owner of New Jersey Divorce Solutions, a law firm located in Edison, New Jersey. I've been practicing exclusively divorce and family law for the past 16 years. Everyone has a story. I interview them. Wake Up Call is an opportunity for you to hear inspiring stories from people who are making hard decisions, overcoming their fears, and living their most authentic life. And this is the first of what is going to be a series known as the Hashtag Fem Coach Series. And my guest today, my first guest for the Hashtag Fem Coach Series, Amira Alvarez, business coach, income acceleration coach, success coach, mindset coach. What else? I think that covers it. I love it. All of those things. Absolutely. So I've been doing the Hashtag Fem Squire series where I've interviewed fabulous women attorney business owners, but everything kind of centers around business. And I know so many coaches like you that have so much to offer. So thank you for being the first one. I'm so excited and you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. So we were just talking about the painting that you have behind you. And I feel like it's a good place to start because you said there was a story behind it. Absolutely. So Christina was commenting on the background. I was like, do you want to see the whole thing? And let's see if I can do this again. That's as far as my computer will go up. But it's this very large piece of art. I would say it's seven feet tall, uh, six feet tall, something like that. It's hard and, to tell Yeah, that it's but that it's, big. It's, it's, it's goodly sized. And I, I, I wasn't, I hadn't thought about telling the story, but when you asked it, I, re- I realized, you know, there's, there's some key things that I've done in my life and this was one of them, but I hadn't realized it until just this moment. And this is what's called being an unconscious competent because I've had this painting since, oh, 20 years, a long time. Okay. When I was working in corporate and I actually, I was working as a consultant. I had worked in corporate then I went working as a consultant. And then I got hired by this great company that I was super excited to be working for and with as an in-house employee to do what I was, had previously been doing as a consultant. And I got a huge pay increase. I think I doubled my income in taking that position. And I was really like, I thought it was all that and more. I was flipping my hair back, you know, like I was very excited about it. And one of my girlfriends was dating an artist and he had a show and he had all these pieces. And I fell in love with this piece mostly because I wanted to support him. I wanted to like acknowledge that I had money now and I could do these things. And I can't remember how much it was. It was either 1500 or 2500. It was, but it was a significant amount for me at the time to spend on something like art, which felt like a non-necessity, but it was a statement, a line in the sand that I was worth it, that I, I could invest in my life and myself. 
And the reason I think it's a really good story is because that's an unconscious competency kind of thing to do. So let me explain this. This is where you're doing the right thing, even though you're not conscious of doing the right thing in terms of creating success in your life. And the act of investing in myself, following my desire, following what I really wanted to do versus thinking that, you know, pro-conning something, going into super duper logic around, you know, that's, is this a good expenditure of money? And am I, should I save it for the house, right? There's, there's all sorts of things that you could save your money for and expend your money on and invest your money in. And that act of following desire, following what I wanted as an investment in self was a real act of self-worth and so important. And I, and, and I will tell you that I lost that along the way. And I can tell more about that if you want. Oh yeah. I, I do want to hear more about that because it's, what was the expression? Unconscious competent? Yeah. So unconscious, I wasn't aware, but I was yeah. doing something that was actually an action that creates success for yourself. So there was a competency there that I was actively involved in, but I didn't know that consciously. So I couldn't repeat it, which is exactly what happened. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Because what that very thing that you described when, when we've all been there, when you want something, but then you start to have this nagging thought, well, should I really get that? Is that frivolous? Can I afford that? And then you have all these voices in your head, you know, it could be your voice. It could be other people's voices saying, don't spend your money on that. Mm -hmm. And I find that when I talk to other people that have had coaching, that we are very mindful of that thought process and we talk about it and I can, it's almost like a language. Like I can talk to other people who have had coaching and those conversations are different because it's got that backdrop of coaching. But then when I talk to someone who hasn't had coaching, they just don't get it. Like I'll say those things to them. Like, is that are you coming from lack or abundance? And, and they're just like, what are, oh, stop, you know, what are you talking about? So do you think that because you had some of those experiences, do you feel like that made you maybe a little more receptive to coaching? Absolutely. But only once I engaged in the education and only once I put myself in the environment so that I could hear these things. When I started hearing the, the language of, coaching, the language of mindset, the language of success. And it was not the traditional sort of executive coaching because there's coaching all over the place. In, in, it happens in different arenas in different ways. And there's an, you could advocate for each of them in, in their own right. But what really resonated with me because I was very much committed to personal growth. And, you know, I was the person who went to the, you know, the section, in the bookstore for personal growth. Like I didn't want to look at anything else. You know, I just wanted to see how I could, you know, grow myself because I was searching for something. I knew I wanted more. I I didn't have the language to say exactly what it was, but of course it's like happiness. You want to have a delightful life. You want to live lit up. And I can say that I do that now, but I didn't know what I was searching for except that what I was experiencing now wasn't it. And so when I heard the language of coaching in this particular arena around personal development as a means to having the the outside tactical things work better, so personal internal work to 
be able to execute on the tactical and strategic things in my business and my life, that started to drop in for me and started to make sense. So then I, I followed the breadcrumbs and I kept showing up and I kept listening and stepping forward and, and learning more. Yeah. When did you start to have that feeling like that pull or that urge that, you know, you had described as like just some, some level of dissatisfaction and you were looking for more when, when would you say that started? That's a really good question, Christina. I think early high school, college, maybe. I mean, all of us have had great upbringings and poor upbringings. Like there's, there's a plethora within our experience. Um, even the worst upbringings, you could see something positive from it. But like, so, yeah. so I, I had really great things in my childhood. Parents who were very committed to education and independence and lots of really positive things that I grew up integrated into my beingness and feeling loved and happy and supported. And my parents loved me very much. Like this is not a diss, but the, yeah. the, the, the lane that I was in was achieve the thing to get the love. Okay. And so the grades, the accolade, you know, whatever the honors, whatever it was, that's where I would get the pat on the back and the attention. But I didn't have that real strong grounding and feeling loved. And I think fundamentally that, that there always felt like something was missing there. And I believe that many people have the same experience. It might show up differently for them and not everyone has the, the achievement hook on it, but lots of us do. Lots of us have that, like, that's how we learned how to get love or we morphed it as a child that we thought that that was how to get love, but really it was how to get a pat on the back. But that's what we yeah. thought love was. So for the people that are watching or listening on the podcast that haven't experienced a lot of coaching, um, when I first started coaching, I was pleasantly surprised to find out that a lot of things really do go back to your childhood. You know, if you're really going to dig deep and try to understand what your patterns are, so that you can let go of whatever is not serving you anymore. You really do have to look as far back as your childhood. Would you agree with that? 100%. Absolutely. Okay, so this is what I encounter with, with some people in my circles that are resistant to coaching. And for my friends, it's not, there's nobody specific that I'm, that I'm looking at. So don't get paranoid. No, no judgment. No yeah, judgment. Yeah, no judgment. No judgment. But I find that very often, and tell me if this is something you experience with your clients, a lot of people are so resistant to go there because they feel like they're criticizing their parents and they don't want to criticize their parents. Can you speak to that? Absolutely. So I think that there's two camps there. There's don't want to criticize my parents and anything that is something that, that goes back to how I was raised by my parents would be considered a ding or a criticism. That's not true. Okay. Most people are doing the best they can with what they have at the time. You don't have to make someone wholly wrong to understand that there has been a misinterpretation or a mis a, a mismeaning match that you've made about an experience. Then the, the other side is making your parents wrong. They effed me up. Okay. They look at all of this and, and you're, you're 
trapped and you're staying in the the victim mode, the, blaming your parents for everything in your life. I know that that was me. Okay. Like I'm raising my hand in full transparency. When I started this journey, which was many years ago, I was definitely in that camp, which was, she was like this and he was like that and they effed me up and that's why I'm like this. But if you stay in that place, that is also a lie because it takes away your agency in this world, your, your ability to, to be a creative agent in this world and, and create new outcomes and new results for yourself. It keeps you trapped and it's a freaking excuse not to do the work that you need to do to achieve your goals, your dreams, your, you know, execute on your potential. And it keeps you playing looping in the same, at the same level. So neither of those two extremes work. And, and I, I tend to find people in one camp or the other. Uh, and there is a different path, which is one of zero judgment, but articulation that this is the pattern that you were conditioned with. How do you move beyond it and execute at a higher level now that you see it? And, and those things are generally things that are blind spots that you can't see for yourself. So yeah. for me, like I was in the pattern of, I could see certain patterns, certain high level patterns and just was in blame, but I couldn't see these bigger blind spots that had me truly trapped. Would you say that you've moved past the pattern now? Yes and no. So both. Okay. So I've moved past the pattern from the perspective that it's keeping me playing at the same level and keeping me trapped, whatever level that is. Okay. Like I, now I can see the pattern. Oh, I have much more of a witness perspective. Oh, that's that. Okay. And I move through it much quicker. I'm always holding myself to a higher standard because I want better and better results. And I know that if I'm not getting the results that I actually want right now, now my results right now are like, if I couldn't imagine the results I'm, I'm getting from a revenue perspective, from a relationship perspective, from a um, self-worth, from how I'm showing up in how I'm dressing and what I look like and fitness and health, all like across the board. If you had asked me six years ago, what I wanted, where I would be living. Like I live in this gorgeous place, right? Like what my life would be like. I couldn't have imagined what it is like now. Even if I thought I wanted something close to that, I couldn't have imagined it. I'm there now. So I've gotten great results comparatively. And because desire always calls you forward, I appreciate the results I'm getting, but I have bigger dreams yet right? And that's, that's how life goes, right? It, you, you achieve something, you appreciate it. Now, this is something for achievement junkies that you have to learn. It's yeah. like, you don't just achieve it and be like, and on to the next thing, because then you won't ever appreciate life. Okay. That's a little nugget guys. Like you have to learn that along the way. And so I'm constantly holding myself to a higher standard to, to answer your question. I, I see patterns if I'm not getting the result I want, I will go in and I will figure out how is this playing out right now? Well, I think a lot of people suffer, and I'm guilty of this too, suffer from this idea that, well, once I have that, whatever it is, everything's going to be different. Do you Guess see what? that a lot? I mean yeah. <laughs> so 
it's just not the case. Okay. Cause th- wherever you go, there you are. Right. If yeah. you don't change who you're being fundamentally in this world, not like the essence, let me be very clear. The essence, the spiritual essence of who you are doesn't have to change. A lot of people have this fear. Like if I become hugely wealthy, I'm going to turn into a biatch and I'm going to become greedy and I'm going to be this person that no one wants to be around and no one wants to be my friend except for my money. And like, like there's all these stories around that, wherein money just amplifies, makes you more of who you already are. So then you have to look at like, who are you already on a spiritual level? I am the same person I was back then, but on a 3D manifestation, physical world level, I am very different. I'm making different buying decisions. I'm investing in myself in a different way. I'm, a, I'm holding myself to higher standards in terms of habits and consistency and what I'm, what I'm capable of. Like I've built my self-worth as we've gone, as I've done things and that becomes who you are being those that, that intersection between the the spiritual essential self and the changes that you've made in in your beingness if you will that's what gets amplified when you make money so i've interviewed you a couple of other times already and so i've gotten some feedback from people who watched it and they always say but i want to know like how did she do it You know, I want to know more about how did she, you know, build this successful business. So I I realize we could talk about that for hours, but could could you give us some feedback on that, like a little bit more of the how? Absolutely. So I'm going to do two pitches, two plugs for people as a way to find out more. One is our podcast. So the unstoppablewoman.com slash listen. I go through a lot. Like if you're very curious about this, I share all, like, I'm very transparent about like what I did to build my self-worth. What did I do to build my business? There are episodes on all of this. So have fun. It's, it's there. And then uh, our summits, the Unstoppable Woman summits are great ways to dig into this material. Like it's an immersive experience. So that would be an, a great first step for people. Okay. So what did I actually do? Yeah. Fundamentally, I worked on exactly what we're talking about. Like what more, what were my freaking patterns and my blind spots to, to take action. Okay. Because we, many of us as smart women know what to do. Like you can Google stuff like there's marketing sales. It's not complicated. There's like Google is your friend. There's tons out there. If you have a belief structure that says it's not okay to take action in that way, or it's not safe, you have some sort of double bind, like someone else is going to get hurt if you do this, then you won't take the action. So I, I worked with someone, I hired a six figure investment to hire a mentor and who was skilled at getting to the crux of this. And it wasn't an overnight thing. Like many people work with me and they, they want overnight immediate things. Very often someone will do a VIP day and then like they make 20 grand the next month when they were making four grand consistently. Like oftentimes there are very immediate results. And I would say my results came fairly immediately and they were over time. So you have to be consistently in the breakthroughs, consistently looking at the conditioning, consistently looking at the belief structure and taking action along the way. Okay. 
So that's number one. You have to have someone outside of yourself. And for years, I had a DIY attitude thinking I can read the book and figure this out on my own. Guess what? You can't. Like, I'm a super smart person. I know how to interpret. I learn quickly, absorb. There's nothing that replaces having someone who has done what you want to do ahead of you and has the skill set to look at your blind spots and call them out to help you with that. There's nothing that replaces that. I'm a hundred percent convinced of that. And then I stayed in that coaching for three, three and a half years. So it wasn't a, a one and done kind of thing. Now, specifically that first year when I went from 138 to 700k the tactical thing there's only three ways to make more money wait a second you went from 138 to 700 yeah in what period of time one year yeah that's that's incredible thank you appreciate that that was a five times timesing my income and you know here's the thing christina and then i'll go back to what i did because i want to give people the concrete things I was shooting for a million dollars. Okay. I did not make my goal. A lot of women won't set high goals because they are afraid. What, what does it mean if I don't make that? Uh And I will tell you, I cried my freaking eyes out. Okay. Now you might look now in hindsight, like don't be an entitled, you know what? And I had to have that conversation. Okay. Because I actually went from 138 to 700 K. Okay. And I, but like, December 31st, January 1st, I was crying my eyes out that I didn't make my goal. Yeah, and then yeah. I woke up and I was like, oh, but you five times your income. Look at that. Yeah. And if, you had, if you had said like, oh, I made 138, let's shoot for 200 this year. I would, I would have made 175. Okay. Like I, I probably would have, cause my pattern is to, to like, I don't want to be top of the class. I want to, I want to go to UC Berkeley, but I want to like, just be under, under the radar a little bit. Okay. So that's part of like, that was my pattern. So you would set a goal, but always come a little shy of it. Yeah. And I, I can look back to uh, high school going into my uh, first, uh, I think it was an AP history class. And it was like the first year in high school from junior high. And I was like, oh my God, there are going to be all these smart people there. And I, you know, like the competition's going to be higher. And so for the first test, I studied my patootie off and I got the highest grade in the class. I don't know why the teacher was announcing who got the highest grade. I, it seems odd as a, as a technique, but she did. And I remember, I don't remember her name, but she was this beautiful Chinese girl. And I could see her face be like, game on how how did i come in second right and for her she was like oh my god i need to get to the next level for me what i did was oh i'm not going to study that hard next time i overstudied rather than that was a great result but i thought you liked the pat on the back oh i love the pat on the back but i was also addicted to not being enough Yeah, that's, I mean, think about that as a blind spot for anyone listening. Like this is the kind of stuff that if if you don't have someone who can shine a light on it, then you think it's like, oh, but you wanted the pat on the back. Yeah, but I was also addicted to not being enough. Always needing to strive harder, always kind of like not, not getting the accolade, but not the real accolade, right? 
So we'll go as personal as you want to go. Um, was that because, did, was that something that you learned at home, like with your family was, did you come from a family where you really had to achieve like a very high level and it was never enough? Absolutely. And also there's a pattern there that's generational on my mother's side of feeling like you're unlovable and you have to prove that you're lovable through what you do. But if you have a self image, and this is something that I teach a lot, like if you have a self image that was really deeply programmed into you as a child, you will continue to play that out and it, and it gets passed down generationally as well. So I had learned that I need to prove out that I'm unlovable. And if I get love through success and then getting high levels of success, like getting the top grade in the class, that would go against the self image that I'm unlovable. That would, that would equate being lovable, right? Do, do you see this? Yeah. And so I couldn't abide by that. So I self-sabotaged and I didn't study the way I needed to study. So do you still feel that way? I mean, you said it never really goes away. You just mm. learn how to recognize when, when it's triggering you. Yeah. I think the, the pattern is still there. Like your subconscious is insidious, okay? Your subconscious mind can work for you or against you. Your subconscious programming that got programmed very young can be very insidious, okay? It, 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 you have to constantly use conscious awareness to make different decisions in favor of what you want and to reprogram yourself towards what you want. But it will come out again. And I'm on, I mean, I'm not anxious or that kind of high alert, but I am on high alert for anything that's, if I'm not getting the result I want, what is the pattern here? Because we live in an easy and abundant universe. We, we, it's not hard to make money. It's not hard. It's not a hard life. So if I'm not getting the results I want, or if, if I'm struggling with it, that's a sign that I'm in a pattern. Now I know that's a high bar for people, but that's, if you want to, I get that the human experience, their struggle, I'm not denying that, but like my stance is that we're always growing. We always want to get to the next level. That is also part of the human experience and that the struggle is there to help us see what we need to shift and change to move forward. Okay. Not as a baseline that this is how it always has to be. So that year that you didn't reach a million, was that because your pattern struck again? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. But, and, and it never strikes in a very obvious way. It gets, it strikes in a way that um, gets you to agree with it. I'm too busy. I'm, I tried all the things, but I didn't do, do enough. How can I do this and this, right? Like, and for me, it was, you know, I, I let myself off the hook in terms of the consistency around outreach and sales. I mean, what moves money? Sales yeah. moves money. It's not like people think it's a mystery how to make money. Okay. Sales moves money. I don't care if you're in corporate, you're selling your, yourself to a headhunter, you're selling yourself to the, your new boss. This is how you're selling yourself for the next initiative. This is how, what's going to move money. If you are in business for yourself, you have to learn sales. This is what moves money. So if I'm not making the kind of money that I want, 
I'm not doing sales, whether that's myself or hiring a salesperson or, or whatever it is. Well, a lot of people get scared off by sales because they feel like your sales is talking somebody into something. Yeah, it's such a lie. So here's the thing. Sales is something you do for someone, not to someone. Now, I know that sounds pat, but it's bigger than you think. If you have a product or service that you stand behind and you think really helps someone, if your product or service ser solves their problem, helping them step forward into buying it is of service for them. Many people have resistance to investing money, spending money, and their buying pattern, the, the way they think about spending money causes them to be in resistance to buying your product or service that could help them. So you need to learn how to help them agree with what they really want and move beyond their buying pattern that says, I'm not worth it. I can't afford it. I don't have time for it. It's not the right yeah. time. There's all sorts of things, right? And you do have to be very deliberate in the way that you have the sales conversation, which I've, I've learned, been learning. Well, not say learned, been learning. You do have to be deliberate in the way that you construct the sales conversation so that you identify what the problem is in the first place and, and see if that is something that you can help with them with. Absolutely. Because a hundred percent, you don't want to sell someone something that is not the solution for them. In a, a productive sales conversation, you're figuring out what they want and you're figuring out what, what their problem is, what's stopping them. And then you're thinking in your head is what I do is the service or the product that I sell something that would help them get what they want and solve the problem that they have. If there's a no to either one of those things, then you say, thank you, but no, I, I don't have the right solution for you. But if it is the right solution and the other person is just scared, either it's a buying decision issue, a financial decision, sort of where they're in the noise about spending money, or they never invested in themselves. So it's a belief issue. There's all sorts of things that come up, like all that programming that we've been talking about. And you need to help them. It's your job, right? And this is completely of service. Help them say yes to the thing that's going to solve their problem. And I guess another plug for you is that you do teach people how to have that sales conversation. Absolutely. It's so essential. If you really want to you know, have exponential results, you have to get over your fear of, of sales. And people have a lot of fear around it. Did you used to? Yes and no. I think I started off really wanting what I wanted badly enough. So I was the type of person that was like, looking for sales training all along the way. You know, I did various programs as I was building different businesses in the past to, to help me figure out how to do sales. And so I studied it because I really wanted to get out of my own way. I wanted the success. And I could, I could see that's another unconscious competency piece. I could see, I, didn't, I had never heard of the law of cause and effect, okay? But I could see that that was a cause and an effect. I didn't know that sales is what moves money. I didn't have that framing. I didn't have the law of cause and effect. I didn't have sales is for someone, not to someone. I didn't have any of that. But I did know intuitively, unconsciously, that if I wanted to build a business, I needed to be making money 
And if I wanted to make money, I needed to know how to do sales because what I was doing wasn't working, right? <laughs> so, but I, so I wasn't afraid of it. I kept moving toward it. And there have always been times where like, well, I shouldn't say always, but along, along the path of mastering sales, I had to recognize when I had that gut check, like, oh, I can't say that, or I can't ask that, or, or that's uncomfortable, or, or the fear of rejection, or not wanting to make outbound calls, and recognizing how that was showing up, even though I knew yeah. I wanted to make, like I was learning sales along the way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't want to turn this into a personal coaching session, but I feel like what I do sometimes is, is with the follow-ups is, gosh, I've already reached, I've already followed up with them like four times. And I, I know there have to be other people listening who deal with this. I don't know. Am I just being a pest at this point? Is, you know, four times too much. Am I just bothering them? They haven't responded to any of my emails. Maybe I should just leave them alone. What would you say to, to that? So is that post-sales conversation or pre-sales conversation? Well, I was thinking post, but it really could be either one. Okay. So if it's post-sales conversation, then there's a framing that has to happen during the conversation. There's a lot that goes into how you frame when they need to make a decision by and all of that. But let's say, and I always make the recommendation of making the sale on the call. And there's a very there's high pressure way of doing that. There's low pressure way of doing that. And part of your belief structure tells you what's high pressure and what's low pressure and causes the anxiety in, inside. But let's say you didn't, you didn't close the sale on the call. And then how do you leave it with the person? Well, you need to, to roadmap that for them. So you set up a follow-up call and you say something like, if you can't keep this call, then, or, or I have all sorts of ways of, of saying this, but like fundamentally I say, please, can we have an agreement here that we keep this call on the calendar, whether you're a, a, a no or a yes. If you're a no, that's fine. I just like to close the loop because maybe, you know, in the future you're going to want to do this. And oftentimes when people say no, they feel bad about saying no. And then there's wonky energy there. Yeah. And I'd love to keep this open for us and just leave on a really positive note. Yeah. And if it's a yes, then fantastic. We're going to take the next step and I'll, I'll, we'll figure out when we do X, Y, and whatever you're selling. Okay. And you've, you've roadmapped that so that they don't disappear on you. So that's technique number one. Then you're not having to follow up and try and get back on the phone with them because you've already done that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know you did a recent sales um, training. Mm -hmm. Will you be doing another one? It depends. You know, it's so interesting to me, Christina, a lot of people tell me they want sales training and then they don't do it because they're afraid of sales. And to be honest, it's one of the hardest things for me to sell because people are so resistant to sales, which is, That's funny. you know, like, I'm like, I go like this. I'm like, ah, you guys, this is this is the thing that you need to learn. So I've had a few people reach out to me saying that they couldn't make the last sales intensive that I did and would like to do another one. So, uh, you know, I'm on the fence about that. I told my team after the last time we, we marketed this, I'm like, don't let me sell this again. Like, this is like, we'll sell it in a different way, but this is not the, the front um, line offer. Like we'll offer it to existing clients who 
need to go to the next level, but we're not leading with this because people are just super resistant to it. Even though I'm very direct, they ask me, how did you quantum leap your income? How do you get exponential results? This is a cause. The effect is the bigger revenue, the increased cash flow. Like I, I'm not BSing you guys. This is, this is part of it. Okay. And if you're resistant to it, if you're saying to me, I don't have the time or I don't have the money, then you don't really want it, okay? Like, I'm just gonna tell you straight up, like, that is a BS kind of thing because this is what's gonna cause you to get this result, but you're not willing to step in and ha not having the money for the training is BS because everyone, if they really want it, could figure out how to get the money. It's just, it's like a, a stance that I have that's so strong. Now, am I compassionate about that? Yes, but I won't agree with you if you tell me that. Like, there's like no universe in which I could possibly agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're pretty good at calling people out on stuff. So, yeah. Um, all right. So I think we got a little off track because we, you were going to start talking a little bit more about the nuts and bolts that I know my audience has been asking for. So let's go back to that. I'd love to. Okay. So what did I do that year? One, I hired a six figure mindset mentor that helped me see my blind spots and aligned, like helped me clear the belief stuff that I had that was keeping me from moving forward. I learned sales. Okay. I took my sales training, my personal study of sales to the next level. I, there's three ways to make more money. You raise your prices, you sell more widgets quantity, or you add a new channel of income. It's not complicated. Like this is business. I don't care if you're Richard Branson, if you're Oprah Winfrey, if you're Beyonce, if you're JLo, like they're making more money selling more records, right? They're adding a new channel in their business, right? Like it's, it's not on a meta level. It's not complicated. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that year I raised my prices quite significantly. Okay. So I think I, I tripled my prices. Okay. Is that the only thing you did? I changed my belief structure. Well, I invested in myself that helped I change my belief. Structure. Let's not underestimate that investing in self piece yeah. because let's, let's go back to that. I invested it a six figure amount. Now I was paying that over time. I wasn't paying it up front. Some people do pay it up front. They had, they have cash in the bank that they can use for that. I didn't. Okay. And my then husband was like floored and flabbergasted and pissed off is a very innocuous way of saying what his reaction was for me signing up for this because he was against it. Okay. He thought there was again, like no universe in which that would make sense, except it did because, you know, by the end of that year, he was like, wow, this is really working. Right. And was totally on board with it. But because I, I use that as leverage, I wasn't going to lose my marriage because I'd made this decision. I wasn't going to not do the work because I had invested this level of income. That's not everyone's leverage point, but it was certainly a great leverage point for me. So hired an expert. I got leverage by investing that level. Like I did the scary things. Like when I say leverage, I did the scary things that I didn't want to do, like following up four times with people and like figuring out how to show up bigger, larger, all of that. Okay. I started uh, okay. So let's go through all this. And then I raised my prices. I had to have the belief in myself 
and be actually become a better coach in order to do that, which I did. And I learned how to sell and what else? And I kept, this is a big one. And again, another little plug for the summit, something that we're going to be covering a lot at the summit was I raised my self-worth over and over and over again by how I invested in myself along the way. So get this, I could invest a six figure amount in my business because it was my business, but I couldn't spend $45 on a manicure. Okay. Like I remember when I got my first like gel manicure and I was like, it was like, I was like crossing the street back and forth. Like, can I do this? Can I not? I, I, I cannot tell you how big a decision that was for me because, and I was like, what would Jack think? Is this okay? Am I misusing our money? Am I spending too much? Right? Like the, the noise in my head around it was so significant. And I don't mean to be, I hope it doesn't come out as dismissive in saying that because I was really there. I had this conversation for a $45 buying decision. Okay. But I may, because that was for me as a woman versus me as a business. And I couldn't see the difference. Now I understand that it's same, same investing in the business was investing in me. Investing in me is investing in the business because when, when now I look at myself in the mirror and I love what I see, like, I love that I have pretty color on my nails. Now that's not everyone's thing. Okay. I'm not saying that there's only one way to look. Okay. There's, you know, however many, but if that's who you are and you want that, then if you aren't doing the things that give you that, you're not going to love what you see. That's going to diminish you. You're going to feel bad about yourself. Your self-worth is lower and you're not going to take the actions in this world that are going to put you on stage and have you doing big visibility things like podcasts and Facebook lives or whatever it is. Okay. Yeah. Can you talk about the difference between just running out and using this conversation as an excuse to, to go run amok and spend money on shoes? Cause I've done that or the difference between that and, you know, investing in yourself. Yeah. So a couple things here. Well, probably more than a couple things. Well, for one good pair of shoes is a good pair of shoes. Okay. Like just, I love me a nice sexy pair of heels or really, I'm like into power boots also, like makes a difference. Okay. So for me, I had to do things concurrently. Okay. I had to spend before I felt worthy of spending the money. Okay. So buying the shoes, getting the manicure, flying first class. I remember the first time I flew first class, I was like, don't belong here. What do I do? Like, how do I, like, do I, and I was totally uptight. Okay. And I just kept watching what everyone else did, which isn't such a bad strategy. You can't spend and think it's going to be magic sprinkles. Yeah. Okay. Like, okay, I'm investing in my self-worth then I'm going to spend all this money and like money is going to fall from the sky. It doesn't happen that way. I had to match that by taking the actions in my business and holding myself to that higher standard to build the, the revenue. Okay. And, uh, but a lot of people won't take those actions because they don't trust themselves to build the revenue. Okay. And some people take those actions and don't do the thing and then they lose trust in themselves. So it's critical that 
by by investing in the things in your life, pretty clothes or vacations or boots or manicures or whatever it is, flying first class, you, you're raising your standard of living. Now you have a higher need. When you've raised that need, then you have to raise what you do to create it. Now, most people have this backwards. They think they have to create the money first before they spend it. And one of the things that I learned along the way was, well, you don't have an, there's no reason for you to create the money because you don't have a real need here. You haven't decided that you really need this. Okay. Is it like tricking yourself to some degree? Yeah. Like, but see what happens is people don't do the work that's required because it's optional whether you save for the new house or it's optional whether you pay your credit card bill or it's optional. They, they just make it optional to get that co coaching or it's optional to get the, the new pair of shoes. I don't really need that. So I'm not going to move through my emotional, mental block to taking the action because that's optional. Okay. This is a big challenge for people who their husband or wife makes a lot of money and their new business is optional, right? That's just gravy. Or people who have a corporate job, but they're starting a side hustle. It's optional for them, right? They, they, they nothing bad's going to happen if they don't do the work. Whereas what I did was I was like, I invested in all these ways in myself. And then I was like, holy smokes, right? Like I need to like, otherwise I'm going bankrupt. Otherwise I'm losing my marriage. Otherwise I'm losing my self-esteem. Okay. And that was, all of those were unacceptable for me. So it really worked for me to move through my blocks that way. Well, you did ultimately, and you've talked about this, which is the only reason I'm asking you, you did, you got a divorce. I did. Yeah. Let's talk about it. I mean, cause I know that that's a, a big issue for a lot of people is sometimes it's their spouse. I don't want to say their spouse is holding them back. Cause then that puts the blame on the spouse, but they allow some dynamic to continue that where effectively the spouse is holding them back. Absolutely. And this is a huge place of trans personal responsibility, tra transparency with yourself honesty with yourself that you have to get clear about. So for me, and I can go into the details as much detail as you want. Yeah, for me, the, the answer was a divorce after a very long and amicable and co-creative kind of conversation around and trying to work through some of these things over years as I was going through my growth. But for other people, that's not the answer. And I've helped many couples, you know, so my brand is the unstoppable woman. My company's the unstoppable woman, but I have male clients behind the scenes and I work with people who are in partnership and um, whether that's a business partnership with their husband or other partner or their um, romantic relationship there. So oftentimes it's about helping both partners see these little blind spots and they're both in it. And then that things like it gets better instead of it needing to be a clear break. So for me, I was in what I thought was a, a really good marriage, okay? Like uh, that was the story, if you will, that uh, the framework that I was telling myself about that relationship, that it was great for all these different reasons. 
And, and it was like, that's not, not true. It was, we did life really well together, but we had two fundamentally divergent places. One, we weren't having great sex. And let me tell you women like, and men, if you're, if you're a man listening to this, like life is too short not to be having great effing sex. Okay. So I thought like I was non-orgasmic. I thought that I just didn't like sex, that I had low sex drive. I thought it was me, okay? And that was a real conversation that we had because he really wanted a great sex life. And I was all for that, but I wasn't able to give that to him. And that felt really unfair to me to say, I want the security of this marriage, but I am not willing to give you what you want what you, what your God given right to having fabulous sex. But I really, I did think it was me, Christina. Yeah. Turns out it wasn't like I'm having great sex and it feels awesome. And like, it lights me up and all of that. But I didn't know that at the time. I really, that, that was like a, I need to set you free, baby, because this is unfair. Okay. And it like, it's not to say that it was him. It was, no, it was not him. Okay. It the chemistry. It could have been the chemistry. Also, it could have been the relationship. You know, okay. I mean, there is a, it was him because, you know, we didn't have the chemistry, but it wasn't him because he was doing anything wrong or, yeah. you know, didn't like sex or was rejecting me or any, anything like that. He was all for it. Okay. And it was really important to him. And for years, we had worked on this to no avail. And I was taking responsibility and I recognized that it was, stuff that I, my hangups and stuff that I was engaged in mentally and emotionally around this. Yeah. Um, and then the second piece was I had a real growth mindset. I wanted more from life, not from a, what we have is bad. Okay. Not from a, like, and I talk about this a lot. Like there's this, this good enough, like I'm dismissing what's good here because I want something more. That's not how it works, but that's how a lot of people think it was how I, I used to think. Like, I can't, I can't say that I want more because this is pretty good. Right. And yeah. be happy with what you have. Correct. And what I wanted was more life. Like I wanted to be traveling more. I wanted bigger experiences. I wanted to grow my business. I wanted to have big conversations about life and business and intimacy and all of this stuff. And for a while, after I, I started making my big moves, he was matching me on that and having the conversations. But fundamentally, he didn't want the same things that I wanted. And I asked him that, like, you know, hey, baby, this is what I want. Do you want the same things? And he was like, nope, I really don't. I want this. This is the life I want. And I had to respect that instead of saying, I want you to do it my way and jump through hoops or, or live a kind of life that you don't want. And, and this was someone who was following my lead in terms of reading some of the books that I was engaged in and doing the kind of studying and going to the seminars and stuff, but he wasn't acting on the information. And that was the big rub for me was that he wasn't actually taking what he was learning. It was more of an intellectual experience versus taking it from the intellect to action. And for me, for years, it was just an intellectual experience, but then I got leverage on myself and, and I started taking action. And I wanted someone who took bigger action with their lives. And with a lot of deep conversation, like, 
is this reconcilable? Can we, is there some way that we can make this work? Have we, have we put enough effort into this? Are we abdicating before our time? What's best for you? What's best for me? What's best for us? And we, we both came to the conclusion that we were holding each other back. And it was amicable, conscious, aware, but divorce is always emotionally challenging. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, as a divorce lawyer, yeah. Can, <laughs> there you go, right? Confirm that. Um, you know, I think... I think that probably the worst thing about divorce is the social stigma that is still associated with it. People can't help but see it as a failure and an embarrassment. And I'm generalizing, but I, to me, I've always wondered if your relationship isn't working and it's not making either one of you happy, it almost seems a little crazy to just stay in it. Yeah, I think the, thing, the, the doubt that came up for me was, am I being too flip about this? Have I done my all? Have I, have I really done everything I could here to transform it, to, to help, to, to make it be this beautiful experience? And, and then also, like, are you expecting it to be everything for you when that's not really a realistic expectation and, and being sort of like, Oh, I just want the new, new and exciting, right? Like women love the seduction. We love the new, we love the, the being wanted and, and some of that fades away Mm -hmm. in, in a relationship that over time. And I don't think it has to, if you're feeding it, but we weren't feeding it. You know, we were doing other things, but we weren't doing that. I don't know if this question has an answer, but do you think that if you had fed it, maybe the results would have been different or? I don't know. You know, I mean, here's the thing. There was, I mean, my journey of growth, I mean, there was a goodly amount of time for us to do that together. I don't think so. I think we just have different characters and I wanted more growth and was more invested in that as a practice. And some people some people don't want that level of growth. And I think that's okay. It doesn't make someone wrong or bad. Like I don't look at him and go, oh, you're wrong. You're bad for that. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know that's deeply personal. Yeah. You're welcome. I, I do hear that a lot from my own clients, that statement that, you know, have I done everything? Actually, they're not clients yet. They're usually the consultations that haven't retained yet. And they're they're thinking about it. Yeah. And I hear that a lot, you know, have I done everything? And sometimes I want to ask, well, what does that mean? Does it mean that you think you can change him or her? Mm, yeah. Because you can't change who they are. Yeah. I think that's a really astute question, Christina. I don't think that's the answer. That that cannot be the, the stance that you have. I think in a healthy way, it's about have I taken the personal responsibility that I need to take in this situation or have I just been in victim mode and blaming and not, not like owning my, my stuff here. And I think that's where people, that's a healthy version of the, the questioning. Yeah. Yeah. Would you get married again? Well, that's very interesting that you say that. My gut reaction when you asked that was yes, instantaneously. It was, but I, that took me a little, I'm going to be totally transparent here. That surprised me because I am like super happy in my, like I have a great man, but like I have this independent life and you know, all of this. So 
That's it. Anyway, so there's the answer. Yes. And I was unexpected. I was yes. going to say, I was almost waiting for you to hold up a hand with an engagement ring. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, we'll see, but I don't, I don't think that's coming anytime soon, but like, well, you said something interesting. You said that you're very independent, you know, can, can you be independent in a marriage? I think you can. I haven't done that yet. Right. My, my last marriage wasn't like that. So I, ha- I don't have that experience. But intellectually, I think you can, I think it's actually really healthy to have your own life and your own pursuits and what you're, you're, you're experiencing, because then you bring that to the marriage, right? You bring, you're not just same old, same old every day. You're going out into the world and doing new and interesting things and you're becoming more and you're creating more and you have something amazing to offer. And if you're completely dependent on someone for filling you up, that's an unhealthy, dysfunctional experience. Yeah. Well, I've always had it. I've always thought it was interesting that we all have friends that fulfill different things for us. You know, like, you know, I'll have the friend that I go out drinking with who's always fun. And then I have the other friend who maybe we talk more about intellectual things and, and you you don't have to rely on one friend to to do all of that for you. But in some way we expect, and I am not advocating polygamy or anything like that, but we expect to get everything from our, our, our partner or spouse. It's not really a question there. It's just an observation. I observe the same thing. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. So that's a challenge for me because I've been with the same person for 10 years and we're not married. And for a long time, I wanted to get married just because every, that's what everyone does. But then I started to think, I don't know, you know, I'm pretty independent. Maybe this is just what works for us. Yeah. So anyway, we're going off on a tangent. Um, I mean, I love talking relationships because it's for women, it's such a big aspect. If I feel like if our, let's just go there. If our personal life, if our sex life, our personal life, our sense of self in a relationship isn't thriving, we feel smaller in this world and then we don't do our big things. Now that doesn't mean you have to be in a relationship in order to thrive, but you, you need to be satisfied with your life, your personal life in order to thrive. And that can look different for different people. I'm, I'm a real proponent of figuring out what your style of relationship is, which could be being on your own and not being in a, in a romantic relationship. Yeah. Well, do you think that a lot of women feel like when they are in a relationship that they have to somehow make themselves a little bit smaller or be secondary to their husband? I think for some women that's true. I think the thing with for women where that is not a, like a strong thing, the thing that comes up is that we're really good at reading situations, reading people, knowing how, when to compromise and like, let someone else get their own way. And there's, there, there can be a slippery slope to that where you aren't clear about what a standard is for yourself. And you let things kind of slide in the vein of he needs to come to it on their, his own, or I'm fine compromising on that. Or, you know, like, and, and this can happen around time and money. This can happen around, you know, personal needs and, and, all of that. So I think it's just women are, are like that. We, we network and we have that sort of 
all encompassing. We take it all in and we're pulling it all together and we're not like you, we don't do as much of the, the unilateral focusing. Whereas I think men, and this is a gross generalization, focus really well. And they can be like, this is super important. This is my mission. This is super important to me. I'm not going to pay attention to anything else and can very easily discount stuff. Women, we're paying attention to everything and we can't easily discount that weird vibe that we just got from our man because of something, right? I think they have blinders on, not because they're blowing us off to be inconsiderate or disrespectful. It's just their nature. And we love that about them because then that like they're, that's their masculinity. That's their kick-assness. That's where they're like slaying in, in life. And we, we love that. Like that, that's a a sexy kind of thing also. Yeah. 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 It's interesting because if I have a relationship issue or my, my girlfriend does, we will sit and talk about it, honestly, too much, too long. But if I bet you, you know, if my boyfriend, if we have an issue, he does not go out to the bar and sit for hours and talk about, you know, this unpleasant exchange that we had. He's, you know, in fact, he figures it out in his head first. <laughs> he thinks about it in his head, finds the solution, brings you the solution. Yeah, that's basically how it happens. And yeah. I've definitely noticed that if we have an issue, I always want to talk about it immediately. Like now, like I want to talk about it. <laughs> and he doesn't, you know, and he will kind of retreat into his little man cave, mental man cave. And I think I've just learned to let him do that. Mm-hmm. which is hard. But what are some of the big issues that you see? Cause you've been doing this a, a while. What are some of the recurring issues that you see with the women that you coach? Like some of the bigger challenges that they have is, is there something that is recurring? Mm, there's so many. <laughs> the, the thing that I think is there's some big ones, but fun, fundamentally there's a fear of rejection. There's fear of disappointment. Like, I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid of being disappointed. I'm not even going to hope or desire it. I'm not going to imagine it. I'm not going to think of it as a possibility because what if I can't and I disappoint myself or what if I disappoint others? The fear of rejection comes up around sales, also around the same thing. Like, what if I say I'm going to do something and then I make a mistake and someone else sees it and then they reject me and they say, I'm not good enough, blah, 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 blah. So there's all of that. So some of those, and those are all based on core wounds, which is a whole bigger concept. And then, but going there, the concept of being wrong is a big one. And people get really trapped or sucked into making other people wrong so that they don't feel wrong. And that's, you can't, you can't grow that way. You can't scale. You can't solve problems that way if you're stuck in, and like business is just about solving one problem and then going to the next level and solving the next challenge and going to the next level. Right. But if you think that someone else is wrong, let's say a team member didn't get what you had in mind and something crashed and burned, let a client down and you lost all this money. Right. And you want to point your finger and say, they're to blame. They effed it up. They're wrong. That doesn't solve the problem. Okay. Yeah. It really doesn't. Yeah. But it may, if sometimes people will do that because they feel like it absolves them of being responsible for it. Correct. 
but you're hundred percent responsible for all your results. And that was a big one that I had to learn. Like, really, they made the mistake. How am I responsible for it? But I'm responsible for it because when I hired them, I delineated the project. I either set them up for success or failure. I didn't give them enough information. There's always something there that I could have done differently. Did you used to do that? Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Yes, absolutely. I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't scale because I couldn't trust anyone to do work. Right. I was, I was a committed DIYer and I was like, it's easier to do it myself. And oh my God, it's going to be such a PETA to train someone. And they, even when I train them, they can't do it as well as I can. Right. Like, and, and you cannot scale a business if you have that attitude. Okay. You just can't. Yeah. You have to hire people. And I definitely think I used to suffer from that much more than I do now, but I've I've seen it with other people that I have to do it. No one's going to do it like I do it. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm actually surprised that you used to suffer from that. Oh my goodness. Absolutely. Now I, I will say, I'll pat myself on the back and put my hair back that once I saw that I was doing that, I moved through that as fast as I can, I could. And it's been gradations, right? It's been faster and faster. Like I just had something come up yesterday where I'll I'll tell you the granular example. We're on LinkedIn, but I'm often not responsive enough. Okay. Like people will send me messages and I, I, I'm not in there enough. And I like, I can't be spending my time in there, all sorts of excuses, whatever. So my team is like, oh, well, we'll respond for you, which is a great concept and solution, except I just saw something come through and my team responded to someone who came to the last summit. We had a phone conversation after the summit that was really excellent. I know who she is. I know her big goals. I know her big dreams. And the response back to her was totally flat as if I'd never had that conversation. And I'm like, ugh. Well, they didn't know that though, right? Right, of course not. But like, but here's the rub. Monday, so what was yesterday? Yesterday was, today's Wednesday. Yesterday was Tuesday when this happened. Monday, the day before it happened, we had just had a marketing meeting about responding back as, as you on Team Unstoppable, not as me. But it didn't translate for one person on the team for this particular instance. Now I had to take a step back and talk to my marketing manager about it today and say, now her intention, like there is no malice here. I know that she is on it and that she's conscientious and is trying to do absolutely the right thing. And like, I'm not going to blame her for that. There's a, a communication issue, a systems issue. There's a management issue. How do we solve those problems so that this doesn't happen again, even though we, like, cause I could have been in, we just talked about this. Right. And, and yeah, I think and, that's what I would have done. <laughs> right. And, and I acknowledged that to my marketing manager. I'm like, okay, so something's not translating, but my, my, my conversation about it is this neutral conversation. And then it, we talked about, okay, what's the SOP that we have to create here? How do we do this on a meta level so that this is an isolated incident, but it's representative. We have to solve this problem, but we need to also solve the meta problem. And it's a good, healthy conversation. That's how you scale. 
by me losing my, you know what, and being a rageaholic or whatever, or a blameaholic or in victim mode, you can't scale that way. And it creates a really toxic work environment. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Oh, well, that's interesting. I think a lot of us have those issues. For sure. I ha- and I did. Okay. Like if you had talked to me six years ago, I would have been losing my, you know what? I would have been going apeshit around it, but I have changed and you can change too. So what are, what are some of the other recurring things that you see? Because I think a lot of us feel like whatever weird patterns or issues we have, we, a lot of us feel like we're the only ones, we're afraid to talk about it, it's embarrassing. Yeah, money stuff is a big one. Behind the scenes, people are overextended, they're not making the profit that they want, they don't, they don't make sales. A big one for people is they don't know how to look at their books or they don't know how to bid projects for profit. And like the whole numbers, like knowing your numbers, like I have a, you know, hashtag make love to the numbers because I'm like, you got to get good with your numbers and that's tracking and also how to look at your numbers. And there's a lot of shame around that. And that goes into shame around like people freak out when they hire me, they've, they've, invested and then they're like "Ah!" that's a big common theme and like we have to ground in and be like this is what you wanted this is what you said you wanted let's go let's get to work okay like because that's a common like because it's who am i to spend money on myself and that's a self-worth situation so when you close a big sale like let's say you get someone that commits to a private one-year coaching agreement do you wait for the, are you waiting for the buyer's remorse sometimes? No, I never have that expectation. Okay. Because that, having that expectation is probably like a mindset issue, right? <laughs> yeah. So do you think that a lot of women are living the life they think they can have and not the one they really want? Oh, that's a juicy question. Oh, I love that question. Yes. Ask me a follow-up question. Well, what do you think the follow-up question should be, Amira? (laughs) What do you want to say about it? Why do you think you can't have what you want? (laughs) Yeah, why? Why? Well, they would say, I don't know. Let's just do it right now. Why? Okay, so is this true for you, Christina? Do you feel like you're living a life that you... Because I'm not going to work in the hypothetical because then it doesn't work, okay? Yeah. But like, do you feel like you're living... Like you're not living out your full desires? Like the life you really want? Well, I would say that the, the way that my life is at this particular moment is not exactly what I would want. But I, it's something I've been thinking about because I've come to the realization about other people, which I guess I should turn it back on myself. Mm-hmm. And, and this comes up with my divorce clients. A lot of times they'll tell me the settlement, not that they want, they'll go, oh, he'll never agree to that. And I'm like, forget about him. Tell me what you want. Yeah. So I've always said, don't tell me what you think he'll agree to. Just tell me what you really want. So then I started thinking, you know, I wonder how many of us are living that way, just with what we think we can have. Like if I really want, you know, there's a shore house that I want in Long Beach Island that's like $2 million. And I love this house. I want this house. But then sometimes I'll let myself think, well, God, that seems so out of 
reach, you know, to buy this $2 million house. And then I'll start looking around at other houses that are much smaller, less expensive, and they're totally cute, would be happy to have it. And I think, well, maybe that would be easier to get. Yeah. And then I start thinking, no, (laughs) you know, slap myself. Stop it. You want the $2 million house. Absolutely. So want what you want. This is a big manifestation creation action. You have to want what you want. It's like saying, oh, I think I'll go for 200K instead of a million for me, right? And you get what you go for, okay? So there, you know, can't, how far are you from that? If you're not making zero right now, that's going to be a ways out. Do you need to move right now? Then you might have an interim solution, but do not lower your standards. Do not say, I, I don't want this or I shouldn't go for it. Hold it as your key growth directive. That's going to call you forward. And if you make it smaller, then you're compromising and you're not holding yourself to the high standard, but then you have to go do the work to make it happen. But don't you work with people where it might be hard for them to believe that how am I ever going to make it all to the that? time? Let's take you, for instance, you went from one something to 700. Yeah. Did you have that goal initially when you first started coaching with your coach? With my, so I started a coaching business and first year in business, I made 30K. Second year in business, I made 90K. So I tripled. Third year in business, I made 138. So I, I made a significant jump higher. And that was a really big and, but I didn't have a million in my mind at that point. Okay. At all. When, when, when I started working with my mentor, mm-hmm. I definitely had a million dollars in my, my head. Okay. So when did the million, cause when you first started out, if you, if someone, if I had said you can make a million dollars, would you think your reaction would have been stop it? If you said that to me, I would have said, stop it because you've never done that. Because I've never done that. Correct. So you have no credibility in telling, and you have never helped someone do that. So I was engaging with someone who had that level of credibility and knew how to do it. And there was no wonky energy. And I've helped, you know, I've helped people go from 188 to 1.2 million in a year. Okay. I wasn't able to do that in the one year, but I've helped other people do that. Subsequent to it, I've made big, big jumps and changes. Okay. So it depends who you're listening to. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I I guess what I'm trying to understand is there was a time when you had those blocks where you thought like, you know, maybe not the $2 million house, but where if you had looked at the $2 million house, you would have been like, I still have that Christina. Okay. But let me tell you how I deal with it. Okay. So I just looked at a $5 million house and I'm like, I really like that. And I'm like looking at it like sideways and do I really want that? And, and I'm not a hundred percent on it. Okay. So to be clear, that's not, I, I was like, Ooh, that's really nice. But I wasn't, I haven't said I'm moving to across the country. I haven't said that that's the house for me. It's not a clear yes. Okay. But it's planted a seed and I'm like, huh, could I do that? What would it take? Right. And, and so instead of it being like, I can't have it because now I understand the manifestation process. Instead of saying, I can't have it. I say, do I want it? And that's the difference. Do, and do you really want it? Do I really want want it? Is this what I'm effing going for? 
And then once I'm clear, I, I am like laser focused on it and I have a hundred percent faith that I can get it. Now there is a lot of gestation. So we don't know how long something's going to take when it's the seed that's growing is this idea that we're calling into 3d manifestation, but I become very laser focused. What most people do before they understand the creative process or the creative method or the manifestation methods that I teach is that they instantly discount. I can't have that. There's something I want. Yeah. I can't have that. I can't have that relationship. I can't have that body. I can't have that house. I can't have that income. I can't have the best team in the freaking world, right? Like I can't travel. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. So they dismiss the things that they want instead of saying, I want that. I'm going to have that. I don't know how that is going to happen yet. But the first step is claiming what you want. Second step is deciding that it's yours. And then the ways and the means come in. Then the how comes in. Okay. So I'm going to get the $2 million house, not the, not the Cape Cod. That's half the price, still half the price in LBI. I don't know if you've been there, but it's expensive. Yeah. Okay. Well, good. So anybody who's listening, go after what you want. Totally. Not the thing you think you'd have. So we have a few minutes left. We're going to squeeze this lemon. <laughs> we have five okay. minutes. And I want to ask you, what are some habits that you have that you could share with our audience? that you feel are like attribute to your success, you know, contribute to your success. Okay. I'm going to just no particular order just yeah. coming to my mind. I claim my desires. I say yes to them before knowing how, just to the point we were talking about. I invest in myself. Okay. I've learned to say, yes, I make quick decisions. Okay. So I've learned to trust myself. I make quick decisions. It's one of the huge, big success features. I take action massive, immediate, consistent action. I hold myself to high standards. So that means if I'm not getting the results I want, I look back at myself and see what I need to do differently and, and start doing that. I get great sleep. I think sleep is huge. I'm outside. I get great exercise. Not that that's been harder for me, Christina. I did not come from a mindset or background or any of that, that supported physical activity. We were couch potatoes. Okay. But that I think that's really important. I study. I learn from people who have done what I want to do. It's huge. There are no shortcuts. You still have to do the work from that perspective. But learning from someone who has done what you've already done, that you want to do, it will save you so much time. So I'm consistently looking for experts. Um, you know, I just got this new puppy. I'm hiring a dog trainer. You know, I'm going to like, I mean, it's such a simple example, but you know, I'm going to hire an expert to help me with this, even though I'm in, the, I'm not abdicating responsibility. I'm doing the dog training also. Right. Yeah. And, and some people would say, well, that's nice for you, Amira. You have <laughs> me to hire the dog trainer. Okay. You can hire at all levels. You can get the book, you can do the online course, you can, ex but you invest your time and your money into what you, you want. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a meditation practice? I don't have a meditation practice. I have done meditation in the past. I, I, so, but I do have presencing practices. They're just not strict traditional meditation. So I do things like walking meditations when I'm walking or running, uh, where I'm doing visualization and I'm staying focused on one concept. I have quiet time in the morning, not so much with my new doggy, but 
traditionally I've spent a good one to two hours in the morning studying, getting clear, quieting my mind, talking to God, whatever you want to call that grounding and presencing practice. And then throughout the day, if I'm feeling racy or spinning out, I will take some quiet time. So I know you have the Unstoppable Woman Summit coming up. I'm going. I signed up. It's virtual. I was looking forward to going to San Diego, but given the climate right now, I guess we can't do that. So tell us about that and then tell us how people can sign up. I'm super psyched that you signed up. Yay. Yeah. The link is the unstoppable woman. So it's with the, the in front, the unstoppable woman.com slash summit. And it's a virtual summit this year for obvious reasons. We just did a virtual summit in June and we got rave reviews. People loved it. So please, we, we put into practice a lot of things to make it not just another Zoom meeting where you're exhausted by the end of the day. We've really set up the teaching to be interactive. We have networking in a particular fashion that really helps people build relationships, not just random conversations. There's all sorts yeah. of things that uh, we're doing that to, to make the virtual aspect of it really powerful for people. And so, and, and the theme this, this for the summit, so I always teach the, the foundational fundamental skills that are part of the manifestation process, part of the creation process or the goal achievement process. Like you talked to me six years ago about manifestation. I'd be like, Oh my God, that's so woo woo. What the, you know, like I would, would have blown it off. But really what we're talking about here is how do you take the idea of what you want, the goal that you want to achieve and make it real in this 3d world? How do you do that in the easiest possible way? And there's a methodology to that. So I'm going to teach that to people. And then fundamentally we're looking at how to really step forward as a, as a woman and raise your self-worth, raise your havingness level, your investment level in yourself so that you can execute in your business and in your career. So it's for creatives, it's for business owners, it's for women who are in corporate, who are really driven, but seem to be plateauing at the same level. And why is that? What's the internal block that's keeping them from the self-worth required to move to the next level. Sounds awesome. I'm looking forward to it. I will share whatever you want me to share and on my Facebook and Instagram because I, I definitely think it's worth the time. Awesome. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. that. Well, thank you for your time. You did it. <laughs> I appreciate Yay. it. You, you gave us a lot of really personal information about you. And I, I appreciate that because a lot of times you may not realize this, but when we see you speaking about all of this stuff, you know, we wonder like, what has Amira been through in her life? You know, I want to know more about what she's been through. And I feel like you shared a lot of that today. So thank you. Thank you. So can I speak one little thing about that? Yeah. I, this is the after picture. And of course I'm continuing to grow. Okay. So there's always going to be a next level, next level for me, even in the transparency that I've shared, it's not all perfect, perfect rainbows and unicorns and, you know, roses. Okay. I had to stick with the process and continue to stick with the process and want it badly enough. My freedom, my next level, my living to my potential. Like I had to want that badly enough to move through the challenging parts and there are challenges. So 
like, even though I can talk about the divorce in this way, even I, even though I can talk about spending the money on myself now from this perspective, it was emotionally challenging during that time. So I just want to say that you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to own what you want, step forward and get the help to move through the challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for more of that, go to the Unstoppable Woman Summit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Wake Up Call, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you'd like to know more about me, you can find out more on my website, christinaprevitt.com. And be sure to sign up for my newsletter where I talk about everything that I'm reading, learning, listening to, doing, basically everything that I'm obsessed with right now. Follow me on social media. Look up Wake Up Call the Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you'd like to be a guest on Wake Up Call or there's someone you'd like to hear on my podcast, please email me at wakeupcallthepodcast at gmail.com. Thank you and see you next time.